Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate directly to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have several other podcasts out there, from John to Justin, Pucks and Cups, Canada's Great War, and Coast to Coast, and they're available on all podcast platforms. And I do all these full-time, the writing, the research, everything. So every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I'll make sure I thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bairdo37. And I put up daily videos about Canada's history there. You can also find weekly videos about Canada's history by going to my YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash c slash Canadian History X. And you can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as transcripts of every episode. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And I want to mention right now that on Twitter, I'm going through kind of a bit of a contest. We're going to see who is the greatest Canadian. I've selected 256 names. I put four up randomly each day and people vote. And we're going to see who wins and becomes the greatest Canadian. So make sure you follow me on Twitter. The land that Kenora sits on today has long been the home of the indigenous nations, such as the Anishinaabe and the Sioux. Later, as Europeans began to arrive in the east, a new indigenous nation would come to the area of future Kenora, the Métis. Today, Kenora sits on Treaty 6 land. By the late 19th century, the land around Kenora would be settled by various European groups, including the Dukabors, Romanians, and Ukrainians. The first ranches started to appear in 1884, and within two years, the land was being surveyed for homesteading by the Canadian government. The first group to come out were the Ukrainians, and they left a long mark through the history on Kenora. In fact, the first Ukrainian block settlement in Saskatchewan's history, predating the province itself, was established when 150 families came out in 1897 to the Kenora district from western Ukraine. Settlement would progress relatively slowly, but the Canadian Northern Railway arrived in 1904 and settlement quickly increased. A post office soon opened and a school district was soon established. A town was then surveyed along the tracks and one year later, Kenora was incorporated as a hamlet. The name Kenora is rather unique. Usually when I'm looking at various places, it's named for a railway official or it's named for a person from the town or from where the people came from. But Kenora, well, it's got a cool name. It comes from the Canadian Northern Railway itself, quite literally. The first two letters of each word of the railway's name would spell out Kenora. The train station was built in 1904 and served as the major link for the community to the outside world for decades. Unlike many other communities, Kenora never got rid of its train station, and it's actually still served by the Via Rail's passenger service. As well, the station is now the oldest Class 2 railway station still in operation in Saskatchewan. And you can discover the history of the community by visiting the station, which now houses the Kenora Station House Museum. I've been to this museum, and it's a wonderful place to discover the history of Kenora. There are several exhibits that show the rail and pioneer history of the community, 
Several artifacts, local art, souvenirs, and tourist information signs are also on display in the museum. In 1904, the community only had a population of 28, but by 1906 it had increased to 84. The Free Press Perry Farmer reported on the growth of Kenora, quote, Our town is situated on the CNR main line. It's growing fast and bids fair to become a good, prosperous community, end quote. At the time, Kenora had four general stores, two stables, a hotel, blacksmith, two restaurants, four machine agencies, a lumber yard, a hardware store, and a butcher shop. In 1910, the population had reached 500 people, and the Regina Leader Post would report, quote, The village of Kenora is taking steps to secure the status of a town. A census recently taken shows this community to have considerably more than the population of 500. Kenora is rapidly becoming one of the most important points on the present main line of the Canadian railway system. End quote. For students in the community, 14 in all, their school was held above a store in 1904. The next year, a school was built for the community, but it burned down before it could be used, and a new school was built and opened in 1908. In 1907, the Dukabors in the community would establish the Dukabor Trading Company, which was highly beneficial to the economic development of the town. The company took part in a building program in the community, creating several community-run enterprises, and the company would exist until 1918. The Brantford Weekly newspaper reported, quote, The business is conducted by what is called the Dukabor Trading Company, of which Peter Veregrin is the head, as he is in fact the benevolent autocrat of the whole community. If 50 or 100 men are engaged to work on railway construction, they are working for the community, just as they would be if they were at work on the farm. End quote. In 1912, the first Kenora Chamber of Commerce would be established. On December 7, 1912, the Vancouver Daily World would say of Kenora, quote, Kenora stands alone in Western Canada as the young city of the greatest and fastest growth. Newcomers are flocking in so rapidly that accommodations are at a premium. People already there are inducing their relatives and friends to come. The population has doubled in 18 months. Next summer, Kenora will probably be twice her present size. End quote. At the time, Kenora had six grain elevators and a flour mill, and it put out 1.2 million bushels of grain the previous fall. In the fall of 1912 alone, 2.5 million bushels was shipped out of the area. The same year that Kenora was becoming organized in its business affairs, a small Ukrainian church was built 14 kilometers northeast of the community. The Mohil Ukrainian Greek Orthodox Church was built in 1912 and served the spiritual needs of the early Ukrainian residents in the area. The church was built by the congregation itself and would serve its members until 1968 when it was closed. The building still stands to this day and is one of the oldest buildings in the entire area around Kenora. Due to its heritage, it was made a municipal heritage property in 2006. In 1913, the Hugh Waddell Memorial Hospital was built in the community, becoming the first hospital in Kenora. Mary Waddell of Peterborough, Ontario donated $25,000, about $600,000 today, in honour of her husband who had passed away. The land was donated by Christian R. Graham, and the building was erected by the Presbyterian Home Mission Society, making it one of only two mission hospitals in Saskatchewan. The hospital officially opened on June 18, 1914 with 60 beds. In all, the hospital cost $50,000 to build. The Edmonton Bulletin reported, quote, The hospital has a thoroughly up-to-date operating room with every modern appliance, end quote. Rates for patients range from $1 to $4 per day, amounting to $24 to $95 per day in 2022 funds. It would serve the community as a mission hospital until 1944, when it was bought by the Kenora Union Hospital Board. In 1950, a new wing was added and the capacity was increased to 82 beds. The hospital continued to operate until July 4, 1968 when it closed. On the spot where the hospital was once located, a commemorative cairn was erected in 2000.
I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. In 1927, Sylvia Olga Fedorik was born in Kenora to Ukrainian immigrants Annie and Theodore. She would attend a one-room school where her father was the teacher. Fedorik would eventually go on to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree in Physics from the University of Saskatchewan, and she would eventually become the Chief Medical Physicist of the Saskatoon Cancer Clinic. Eventually becoming a Professor of Oncology, she was involved in developing the first Cobalt-60 unit and one of the first nuclear medicine scanning machines. The machine would become known as the Cobalt Bomb, and was the first of its kind to use targeted radiation to treat cancer in a person. She would become the first female member of the Atomic Energy Control Board of Canada, and from 1986 to 1989, she was the first woman to hold the position of Chancellor of the University of Saskatchewan. Also, she's a member of the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame, an Order of Canada recipient, and she would serve as the first female Lieutenant Governor of Saskatchewan from 1988 to 1994. Your Excellency, I understand that you enjoy getting out and meeting Saskatchewan children as one of your duties and that yes. at one time, perhaps not uh, too long ago, you overheard uh, a child explaining to another that you were the province's left-handed governor and you quite enjoyed that. <laughs> yes, uh, a child in Weyburn was asked who he thought Sylvia Fedoric was and he said, oh, she's the new left-handed governor. <laughs> Tell us what you do. I mean, for many people who, who don't know what uh, a week in the life of Sylvia Fedor might be like. Well, uh, until now, uh, the legislature has been in, in recess in, in the province, so my primary responsibility has been uh, devoted mostly to signing uh, orders in council that the uh, cabinet uh, decisions they make. Once the uh, legislature comes back into session, it'll be my duty to, uh, to uh, read the speech from the throne and so on. So up until now, I've been spending most of my time with what I call my people responsibility, and I've been meeting as many school children, opened a few high schools, presented medals as recently as yesterday, and so on. Mm-hmm. You were surprised at your appointment, but it was something that you had wanted very much. Well, I, when Pauline, uh, uh, Pauline McGibbon became Lieutenant Governor in Toronto in 1974, I thought, gee, that'd be a super job. I'd like that. But, uh, you know, each year time went by, and... Uh, uh, I sort of thought, well, I'd missed my turn, but I was very pleased when the Prime Minister called. She would eventually be inducted into the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame in 2009 and would pass away in Saskatoon on September 26, 2012. One of the most prominent and beautiful structures that can be found in Kenora is without a doubt the Holy Trinity Ukrainian Orthodox Church. 
The parish had started in 1919, and it would be nearly a decade before the members had a new church to worship in. In 1928, construction began on the church, and once finished, it would be used for nearly 40 years. The interior is decorated in the Byzantine tradition, and it's truly beautiful. I had a chance to go into this church during a restoration, and it's stunning. In 1963, a larger church was built, but this church is still used and remains a landmark in the community. In 1984, it was made a municipal heritage property. In 1960, Kenora celebrated its Golden Jubilee, which was one of the biggest events in the community's history to that point. Senator John Hattishan attended the banquet, and he had grown up in Kenora and his son would go on to become the 24th Governor General of Canada. He would state he was glad to be back in Kenora and pleased that his mother could be present for the occasion. Drummond Clancy, the MP for the area, brought congratulations from the federal government and he read a personal message from Prime Minister John Diefenbaker. In 1979, a statue was created that is now the symbol of the community and the first thing you notice when you drive in from the south. The statue is the Lysaia statue, and it was built by two Kenora residents over the course of one year. It features a woman dressed in traditional Ukrainian costume who is offering a loaf of braided bread with salt called kolash. The bread is highly respected by the Ukrainian people and the salt is a symbol of long friendship. The statue was unveiled by Governor General Edward Scherer on September 3, 1980, as part of the Saskatchewan's 75th anniversary. It stands at 20 feet tall and weighs in at 4,000 pounds. And on the plaque that is attached to the statue, it says, quote, Welcome, Vita Yamo. The traditional welcome with the bread and salt to all visitors is a universal custom and practice among Ukrainians and most Eastern European people whose descendants settled throughout Canada. End quote. In 1987, Kenora would receive a very important visitor when Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip arrived in the community as part of a tour of Saskatchewan. Arriving at noon on October 19th, the Queen watched performance of Ukrainian dancers as part of her hour-and-a-half visit to the community with the Prince. The weather was cold, but that didn't stop many from coming out in the community to see the royal couple. One resident who stood outside with a Union Jack, Mary Manchi, would say, quote, I'm just waiting for the Queen to go by so I can wave the flag for her. I think it's very good that she is our queen, and we are not under somebody else's rule. End quote. One woman drove thousands of kilometers from Los Angeles to see the queen. The queen and Prince Philip would have lunch in the community made of traditional Ukrainian dishes, and they would also attend an event at the curling rink where they were presented with a symbolic offering of bread and salt. The queen also received an embroidered towel as a memento of her visit. One interesting museum that you will find in Kenora is the Toy and Autograph Museum. The museum features over 700 autographs from a vast array of celebrities, from Laurel and Hardy to President George W. Bush. The Toy Museum also features over 1,000 toys that date back to the earliest years of the 20th century. There's the original Beatles with Pete Best, Spice Girls. This one is, of course, Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson. This is a chap who invented the pink flamingos. I'm usually the person who takes everybody around. Guide, tour operator, um, owner, um, whatever. It's Chris Hatfield. <laughs> That's Robert Goulet, in case you don't recognize him. Woody Allen. This museum is a collection of toys and autographs. Autographs because my husband over the years has collected autographs. The first one he ever got was for Laurel and Hardy when he was seven years old. Besides the ones on display, we have two or three three-ring binders full as well. Altogether, we have over a thousand toys and over 700 autographs. We've got all the presidents, even Trump. 
like them all. There's one or two I don't like, but they're still up here. <laughs> Clive Cussler, the author. Elvis. We were looking for somewhere to live, and this building was up for sale, and so we bought it, and then realized, well, what are we gonna do with this, this floor? And as we'd brought all the toys with us and all the autographs, it was just around the time when that film, Build It and They Will Come. So my husband said, well, let's build an autograph and toy museum and see if they come, and people did. And people are still coming. He was voted the sexiest man for three years running, was Richard Gere. He was the richest man in the world, was Bill Gates. He just sent a letter, you know, like, I don't know, like Ray Charles. You know, dear Mr. Charles, I'm a collector of autographs. Could you send me your autograph, please? Um, and did. <laughs>